my junior year of high school, a group of us were taking our first semester of calculus. And Mr. Bishop, our math teacher, he told us to turn to like chapter 12 or 14 in our book. It's like 14, you know. And he says, this is derivatives. I'm going to teach you how to do derivatives. And he says, it's really simple. He says, he showed us a sample equation that wasn't very complicated. He says, take this number here, multiply it by this number here, and add this number. And no matter which equation you see, just take this first number, multiply it by this second number, and add this third number. We said, what are we doing? He said, it doesn't matter. Just do what I say. Take this first number, multiply it by the second number, add the third number. And we were doing that for, seemed like weeks. He says, I just want it, and we're going, well, why, it, what is this? He says, it doesn't matter. Just learn how to do it. And what I found out later on is he was teaching us calculus backwards. Because doing a derivative is actually a very easy thing to do. And if you know how to do that, you can learn how to do it in reverse which is actually calculus. And so he started us on page 14 or chapter 14 in the book, and then we went back later on to chapter 1, and he showed us how to do integrals, which are derivatives backwards, and he showed us what we were doing. We were plotting equations on a graph and then rotating them in three dimensions and figuring out the area in there. And it's like, oh, this is cool. This is geometry. Why didn't you tell us it was geometry a month ago? He says, if I told you what you had been doing, you would have been like, I can't do this. But I all knew that you knew how to do multiplication and add. So I told you, take this number, multiply by this number, and add this number. And you had that so down that when we started doing the other stuff, it, it was easy, and you got it. You weren't overwhelmed. And sometimes our Christian disciplines are like that. Why do we pray? It's something that we do, and we don't always understand all the reasons why and what it's about. You know, studying prayer may leave us with more questions than answers. How can I, as a human being, talk with the creator of the universe? How can God hear all those prayers all at once? I remember the movie... Uh, Bruce Almighty and and Bruce gets to take the place of God which is Morgan Freeman in this case and one of the things he has to do is answer prayers and he has a computer and he logs on and all these prayers just start coming and, and, and he says how do I do all this and he just decides to answer yes to everything he says that's easy just answer yes to everything and then the next day it turns out that a whole bunch of people had asked to win the lottery so everybody just won one dollar. So how does prayer work? If God is sovereign and doesn't change, does how does prayer somehow move him to do things differently? And how does God know what to do? Especially when two people ask for different things that are contradictory. One farmer prays for rain because his crops are getting dry, and the other farmer prays for no rain because a heavy rain will ruin his crops. How come some prayers get answered quickly and some prayers don't seem to get answered at all? Why are some people seemingly good at praying and other people's are not? What should we pray for? 
What's a good prayer? Studying prayer leaves us sometimes with more questions than answers. Because it's not studying prayer that gives us answers. It's actually praying that provides us with answers to our questions. So today, our goal is not to merely learn the unique attributes of how Jesus prayed. Our goal for today and over the next few months is to pray like Jesus. So before we go to the scriptures, let's pray. Lord, today we don't just ask that you open up the scriptures to us, but that you open up yourself to us and that we can open up ourselves to you. We ask this in your name. Amen. If you've got your Bibles or want to grab one from under the seat, we're going to start off in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. And put your finger there, and then later on we're going to go to Matthew 6. But Luke 11, 1 says this. He, that's talking about Jesus, he was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. first thing that we see about the attributes of Jesus is it's a practiced prayer. It's a practiced prayer. It says here, Jesus was praying. Now, what what is he doing here? I recently heard a medieval definition, Christian definition of prayer. They called it, many writers, they call it the ascent of the soul to God. The ascent of the inner person. They call it the heart or the mind or the soul, the ascent of our inner selves, up to God. I like that definition. It's kind of how I got the title for the series, Connecting with God. See, what what had Jesus been doing? He had been aligning himself with the will and the person of God the Father. Now, what he's not doing, he's not bringing God down to him, He's not trying to manipulate God to do what he wants. We'll see that he's not doing that later for sure. But he's bringing himself to God. Jesus was praying. And it says Jesus prayed in a particular place. Jesus had spaces and Jesus had times set aside for prayer. Luke 5.16 tells us, yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. Jesus prayed often, and he had places that he would go. Luke 22.39 says, he went out and made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. It says, custom to go, and one of the places that he particularly went was the Mount of Olives. Jesus had spaces and times set aside for prayer. And when he's doing this, his disciples, at least in this case, they're nearby. Because Jesus finishes his prayer time and one disciple asks a question after he finishes. The disciples want to be taught how to pray. Teach us how to pray. Kind of in some ways odd, because the disciples, we would think, as 
Jewish men would know how to pray. They prayed the Psalms in synagogue and temple. They would have known those. They hopefully also prayed those prayers at home also. So Jesus' praying must have been somehow different than what they had already been taught or already been practicing. Jesus, whatever you're doing to connect with God, teach us how to do that. And part of their reason is because John the Baptist, he taught his disciples how to pray. And some of Jesus' disciples were followers of John the Baptist before Jesus. Now, we don't have a whole gospel book in the Bible about what John the Baptist did with his disciples before Jesus came on the scene. We do know that John baptized people for repentance. And we know now from this passage that John didn't just end with baptizing people. He taught his disciples how to pray. That was one thing that John the Baptist did, too. You know, when I think about prayer, a person can have natural giftedness or talents in a lot of areas. You could be gifted or talented in sports or dance. I was just mentioning to to people before church that I was surprised by the balance of my youngest daughter. We were on an airplane, and the stewardess was allowing her to just hang out in the back. And the stewardess said, you know, where's your hair? Where's your nose? Where's your mouth? And she said, where's your toes? And I was expecting her to bend down and touch her toes. This little two-year-old instead picked up her foot, grabbed her toes, balanced on one leg on the airplane. I was like, I didn't even know she could do that. People can have natural giftedness in intellectual pursuits. People can have natural giftedness in public speaking. But that doesn't automatically make me or you or whoever good at whatever we're doing, just because we have some natural talent. It might make us lucky. It might give us a head start. But really, people who are sought after and the people that become exceptional are the people that practice. When we hear stories of like Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan and other basketball players, I'm saying the people from like that I grew up with, you know, Magic Johnson, say, boy, they're super good. But then you hear about them, what they do. They practice all the time. First person in the gym, last one out. See, whatever level somebody starts from, it's practice that makes exceptional. It makes someone exceptional. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray constantly. Some of your Bible versions might say pray continually. Now, this is not always walking around in some meditative state where I'm always just in this constant communication with God. This same word is used in Romans 1.9 and 1 Thessalonians 1.3. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, and it all has this idea of regularity, of it being a habit. Paul says, I pray for you constantly. doesn't mean he's always praying for this church. He says, when I pray, I remember to pray for you guys. It's part of my habit. He says, prayer is to be my custom. It's to be my habit. Just like it was Jesus' custom. 
his habit, his practice. How do we get into this habit? You know, for some of us, we often start just by giving thanks before a meal. That's one way to get in the habit of praying. Maybe we pray before bed or first thing in the morning. Psalm 5 recommends that. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning. It might depend on if you're a morning person or an evening person. You know, more advanced stuff that, you know, that, that, that I've been taught is praying the liturgy of the hours. It's praying certain prayers at different times a day, at least three times a day. Maybe it's just on your lunch break. The thing is, we sometimes lead irregular lives. School has been out. For some of us, school is just getting back in, and maybe that's a time to get a new schedule. Or maybe our life is irregular because we have medical appointments. But prayer should be one of those things that's regular in our life, in our irregular world. Prayer should be like brushing my teeth. Do it every day, twice a day. Prayer should be like taking a bath or a shower. Hopefully you do that every day. Because if I pray regularly, I pray like Jesus. Let's take a moment and pray. Lord, help us to remember. Help us to make habits of lifting ourselves up to you. Of slowing down for a moment or a few minutes or whatever how much time we have daily to talk to you. We ask that you grant us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, we're going to move on. If you want to turn in your Bibles, now we're going to be the rest of the time in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. This is a parallel passage, but it didn't have the question where the disciple that prompted it, that the disciples were asking Jesus how to pray. And this is part of his answer to them. Matthew 6, 5 through 8, Jesus says, Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus' next attribute of his prayer is private prayer. Private prayer. Now, Jesus is not making a ban on corporate prayer. He's not banning worshiping together and having prayer times. He's not banning small group prayers. Because we know that Jesus went to synagogue. We know Jesus went to temple. And prayers happened there. He participated in that. We know that he at least tried to pray with his disciples. Sometimes they fell asleep. So Jesus is not completely banning corporate prayer. Then what's he talking about then? Well, he starts by saying what not to do. He says, don't pray like the hypocrites. Now, Jesus always called the Pharisees hypocrites. So he's actually talking about the Pharisees. Don't pray like the Pharisees. Now, 
it's interesting. If we look at other passages where Jesus talks about the Pharisees and he talks to his disciples, Jesus would say, it's okay to follow the teachings of the Pharisees, just don't follow their practices. And so here he's pointing out, he's, he's pointing out one of their practices. He says, don't pray like them. And here is their hypocrisy. They love to pray. That's good. But they love to pray in the synagogues. They love to pray on the street corner. They love to pray any place where they can be seen praying. Kind of goes back to Jesus' parable that we read earlier in Luke 14. Some people just want to be seen as important. And Jesus says, you know, when a person prays in order to be seen by others, then being seen by others is all the benefit that that praying person receives. If I pray up here because I want you to see me praying, that's all I get. My soul is not lifted to God. My body is merely presented to people. Jesus instead says, go to your private room and shut the door. Now this is interesting considering the houses that they have in the day. The vast majority of people, including Jesus' disciples, did not have private rooms. Where is he telling them to go? Go in your private room and shut the door. Words literally is go in your inner chamber. It's the storehouse where your treasure is. Matthew 6.21, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, Jesus is certainly talking about finding a reasonably private physical space because we know he went to deserted places. But I think Jesus is also talking about our minds, our hearts. You need to go into your private space. Instead of praying so that other people can see me and other people can hear me, I'm supposed to close out everyone else and just pray to God the Father. Because God searches the hearts and minds of people, so he's there. And see, the reward becomes the elevation of my heart to God instead of trying to be elevated before people. Think about this situation that Jesus talks about Luke 18 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, oh, there's our hypocrite, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. 
I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. There's one person there praying for people to hear how good he is. There's one person there that's just talking to God. And the one who is just talking to God is the one who is elevated to God. Now, recently I got to go to my high school class reunion. And what it was is it was a private party in a public place. We were in this place and we were kind of spilling out onto the sidewalk even, but it was a private party. And at one point, a couple drove up and they parked the car in front and they came in. And somebody said to me, I wonder if they know this is a private party. And they went up to the front counter and then they turned around and they left and they got back in their car. Private party, public place. So it's not that we can't pray in public places or in a group, but it's still a private party. Let's look at one more prayer. Psalm 22, 1 through 9 will be up on the screen. David writes this as a prayer. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. We're doing this together. Our feet were standing within your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city should be, solidly united, where the tribes, all these people, the Lord's tribes go up to give thanks to the name of the Lord. This is an ordinance for Israel. There are thrones for judgment. There, thrones for judgment are placed, thrones of the house of David. Pray for the well-being of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls, security within your fortress, fortresses. Because of my brothers and friends, I will say, may peace be in you. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will pursue your prosperity. David said, we're, we're praying this together. In fact, we're commanded to regularly pray this together. But still this private prayer just between him and God. It's one of the things that frustrated me, it was a couple of years ago, I was approached and asked to, to, uh, be part of the service of our, of the area prayer breakfast. And, um, I looked at the times and I, I said, I just can't do it. The time this, this breakfast starts and I need to be there is the time I'm getting my daughter ready for school. I've got to take my, when I look at my priorities, I've got to take my daughter to school. I can't be at this breakfast. So I couldn't, Go. And he says, well, maybe next year. I said, well, maybe. But then we started talking next month after it happened. And he was saying what a good time it was and stuff. And I said, I don't have a problem really with the prayer breakfast. I said, but it only happens once a year. I said, what do we do for all the rest of the year? And the person who scheduled it hadn't really thought about that. I said, I don't just want to pray for our city once a year. I want to get together with some people and pray like once a month or maybe once a week. I said, why Why can't we do that as well? And he didn't have an answer for me. And somebody else at the table we were at said, yeah. And you know what? I, I tried for a couple months to get some people to pray with me like just once a month for a city. You know what? People didn't want to commit to that. It's not very showy. It's not free food. 
See, we're supposed to lift up holy hands and pray together. But when I pray, where is my mind? Am I thinking about how good I sound to you or how I look to God? Think for those of us who might be feel worried about praying in public. It's not overcoming shyness. It's coming to the realization that no matter how many people in the room are there, it's just me and God. You know, sometimes I write down my prayers. And that's okay. Because I don't think God minds that I actually took some time to figure out what I wanted to say to him. And sometimes I don't write down my prayers. Because I think God also doesn't mind if I just say what's on my heart right now. Because it's just me and him. You guys just get to be in the room. <laughs> Private party. If I pray personally to God, I pray like Jesus. Let's take a moment to pray. God, we ask one request. That we can get to know you. That the more we know you, the more that we can bring others to know you. Matthew 6, verses 7 and 8. Finish it up. Jesus says, when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Precise prayer. Prayer is not a formula. It's not a magic spell. Now, even though over the next two months we're going to be saying the Lord's Prayer together every week, it's not the mere repeating of it that will elevate the soul to God. Jesus says, don't babble like the Gentiles. What he means is, he says, don't use meaningless words, words that aren't understood, or words that aren't words at all. The word literally means to stutter. Jesus saying, get to the point. Now, it kind of reminded me recently, uh, last, uh, February, I was leading a mini retreat at the monastery, and we uh, we spent two two and a half hours together, a group of us, before we went to the prayer time with the sisters. And we spent our two and a half hours. We were going over the scripture, the gospel that was going to be read during prayer time. So here we go. You know, it wasn't a two and a half hour sermon; it was interactive, but. Uh, when and then I was supposed to speak on that same passage during prayer time. And I remember I don't remember what I said, but when it actually got to prayer time, I said something pretty short. And a lady came up to me afterwards and she said, 
we spent like three hours with this passage. And then when you were going to speak on it in chapel, we had all this stuff. I thought you were going to talk for a really long time. And she said, it was refreshing. Sometimes the, the short thing is the better. You just got to the point. Sometimes prayers, we just need to get to the point. Jesus says, don't use a lot of words. That doesn't improve my odds either, just because my prayer is longer. He's saying, the fewer the words, the better the prayer. Martin Luther said, actually, this is, this is what Martin Luther said. The fewer the words, the better the prayer. To have prayed well is to have studied well. He says, by the time, he says, by the time I get to prayer, I already know what I'm going to say. <laughs> this kind of goes this way. When Jesus told the parable of the wicked judge in Luke 8, 1 through 8, Jesus makes it clear it's not the length of an individual prayer that matters, but consistency over time, which goes back to our first point, practiced. And then Jesus says, why, why can we just get to the point? We can get to the point because God already knows what we're going to ask. He already knows what we're going to say, so just say it. He doesn't need buttering up. Now, when, when someone is building an electronic component or they're programming something, there's two things. Things just can't be random. Well, I think I'll put a transistor here and a resistor here and whatever, you know, just whatever, and think they're going to make something good. And it also can't just be the same thing over and over again. I'm just going to put resistor, 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 and maybe something will happen. Okay, it's got to be the right components in the right order for it to work. Here's something real practical. I watched a TED Talk on how to ask for help. It doesn't directly relate to how we ask for God, but I thought this was kind of cool. Because it starts off with this point. Be very specific about the help you want. Second, avoid disclaimers, apologies, and bribes. Don't say, I'm really sorry, but I'm hoping you can help me with something. Because that doesn't get a person to help you, and it doesn't help us with God either. So be very specific about the help you want. Avoid disclaimers, apologies, and bribes. Ask in person, face-to-face if possible. Again, that relates to prayer. And then follow up afterwards. Let the person know after the fact, thank you for helping me. You're helping me allow this to happen. So they know it was actually useful. I try and do that. When I ask for help from people, and it applies to, to our prayers as well. Now, there is a prayer in church tradition. It's called the Jesus Prayer. And it's based on the prayer of the tax collector that we read in that parable, Luke 18, 9 through 14. The Jesus prayer goes like this. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. When certain uh, religious orders started saying that prayer, 
some leaders in the church didn't like that prayer being said because it is a repetitive prayer. That prayer gets said over and over and over again. And they said, that's not what Jesus wants. And it's one of those things. For some people, it could be that, just saying those that prayer over and over again. But not necessarily for everyone. Because in that sentence, there's so much. It depends on where we put the emphasis. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. There's a lot of ways to say that sentence. It's not necessarily a repetitive prayer. Got to be specific. Matthew 7, 7, Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. If we ask, if I ask, I should know what I'm asking for. If I don't know what I'm seeking, how will I know if I find it? As I get older, I find myself doing that more and more. I go into the room, why am I here? I don't know what I'm looking for. I don't want that to be my prayers. <laughs> here I am, God. I don't know what I want. <laughs> if I knock on the wrong door, why would I expect to be let in? But what, what about when we don't know? I don't know what's the right door. I don't really know what I need. I don't really know what to say. That's okay. Romans 8:26. In the same way the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. We want to be as precise as possible, but sometimes I can just say, "God, I don't know." Just let God know that. If I pray precisely, I pray like Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we don't know the future. And yet, you, we serve a God that is past, present, and future. We don't always have the words, but Jesus, you are the word of God. They don't always know what to ask. But I do know that it is your will that none should perish but all that come to repentance. So we pray that that happens through this congregation. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We found a story about a man. He took his small son with him into town one day to run some errands. And when lunchtime came... They went to a little restaurant, diner, to get a sandwich. They sat down at the bar and on one of the stools at the counter and lifted his son up on the seat. The waitress brought them their food. And the father says to his son, son, we're just going to do silent prayer this time. So the father and son, they bow their heads. And soon the father 
lifts his head up, but his son is still down. He's waiting, and his son seemed to be doing his silent prayer for a long time. Food's getting cold, but finally the son looks up. And his father said, what were you praying about all that time? And the son said, how do I know? It was a silent prayer. Let's know what we're doing. Let's pray from Psalm 81. God, our Father, it is you who says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of slavery. Open your mouth and I will fill it. Let us not be stubborn. Let us not follow our own plans. Let our ears and mouths and hearts be filled with you so that your will will be done. So that those who are your enemies will become your forgiven children. And that we would be fed in our souls from you who satisfies their need. Amen. You stand and we will say the Lord's Prayer together. What will be on the screen might not be exactly as you may have learned it. I took out some of the King James language because prayers need to be understood. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Remain standing.